text for this morning's sermon is Numbers 14. We've already read that together. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's a great blessing to grow up in a Christian home. Many of us don't know any different, so we can easily take that for granted. But if you grow up in a home where Christ is served, your parents will tell you Bible stories from a young age. They will teach you to pray. As you grow up, you will learn a certain way of doing things. Certain things are allowed and others are not. Godly behaviors are encouraged. Ungodly behaviors are frowned on. Our childhood and youth are a time of discipleship. We learn to know the Lord and to walk with him. Those who come to faith in adulthood do not have these advantages. Most often they've grown up living a different pattern of life. Because they did not serve the Lord, certain sins became embedded in their lives. Newcomers to the faith are often very enthusiastic about their service of Christ. Yet they have to unlearn bad habits and sinful ways of living. It's not an easy process. We all know how hard it can be to break with certain sins. When the Lord delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, they had been slaves for about 400 years. A slave learns to do what his master says. He learns that when he disobeys, he gets beaten. Slaves learn not to think for themselves, but to do as they're told. Inwardly, they might grumble and complain, but disobedience results in unwanted punishment. Yet if a slave is given freedom, he has to learn to think for himself, to make his own decisions in life. It's hard to make good decisions consistently. There's always a tendency to go back to your default position. Israel has just been delivered from slavery and given freedom. God's people were learning to be independent without always knowing how to make good decisions. The bonds of slavery were still imprinted on their hearts and minds. While in Egypt they had not consistently served the Lord, idolatry was a problem for them. Repeatedly the Lord has told them not to have other gods or to serve them. Israel had to learn to put their faith and trust in God alone. But they often struggled with that. Last week we saw how the ten spies presented a majority report at the congregational meeting. They admitted that the land of Canaan was a good land, flowing with milk and honey. Yet they presented a bad report saying that the people living there were numerous and strong and that they lived in fortified cities. The ten spies scared the people by talking about how the Canaanites were all giants and how the Israelites were not strong enough to go up and fight against them. Our text shows how God's people responded. They had a big pity party. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron and were ready to elect a new leader and go back to Egypt. 
When Joshua and Caleb encouraged them by speaking about the Lord's ability to bring them into the promised land, they were ready to stone them to death. Why did Israel respond in this way? Why did they harden their hearts in unbelief? Why not trust in the Lord and his love and his faithfulness to them? As we consider these questions, we need to examine our own hearts and lives. How do we respond in difficult and trying circumstances? Are we willing to trust God when fear grips our hearts? Or when the troubles of life overwhelm us? I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts in unbelief. We'll consider Israel's unbelief, Moses' intercession, and God's response. Our text begins by showing the response of the people to the bad report of the ten spies. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. Their crying soon changed to blame. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Please remember that Moses and Aaron were the leaders appointed by God. In effect, they were grumbling against him. They blamed God for what they saw as their miserable plight. The whole congregation said, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. In the midst of feeling sorry for themselves, they imagined it would have been better for them to have died in Egypt or the wilderness instead of being killed when they tried to enter the promised land. They asked, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. The congregation's grumbling turned to rebellion. They said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It's incredible that the people came to such a conclusion. Just think about it. These people had been slaves in Egypt. They had felt the whips of their taskmasters across their backs. Their baby boys had been thrown into the Nile by a king determined to exterminate them. And now... They wanted to go back there? It doesn't make any sense. And yet, at a certain level, being slaves was easy. It may have been a difficult life, but it was consistent. Yes, they had to work hard. There were times when they faced abuse, but they slept in their own beds each night. They had a steady supply of food, which included fish from the Nile and vegetables grown in gardens along the Nile. They didn't have to think or take responsibility. Just do as you're told and life will be fine. In some ways, the decision-making of God's people, Israel, can be compared to the decisions made by someone who's recovering from an addiction. Alcoholics and those who abuse drugs know that they're not leading a healthy lifestyle. Their addictions often cause a breakdown in close relationships. By their selfish decisions, they alienate family members and friends. They have money problems. 
They often steal or prostitute themselves to feed their habit. Sometimes by God's grace, they have an opportunity to get out of their destructive way of life. Somehow they end up in an addiction recovery program. They learn to overcome their dependency on alcohol or drugs. They start rebuilding their lives. They say sorry to hurt family members and friends and start to rebuild their relationships. They find a job and begin to live a more stable life. But somehow, there's always a pull to go back to their former way of life. When faced with trouble or stress in their lives, they return to alcohol or drugs. They know that what they're doing is not smart. But what they're looking for is a bit of comfort, a bit of normality. The old ways may not be good ways, but they're familiar. And so we're tempted to go back to them. That applies not just to recovering alcoholics or drug users, but to all of us. When faced with trouble and anxiety, we're tempted by the lure of sin. What we need to understand, beloved, is the real issue at stake. The real issue is one of faith. Do you believe in God or don't you? Do you believe that God is loving and faithful and that following in his ways leads to blessings? Or do you turn away from God's promises of unbelief and grab for what you can get out of life? When our hearts are filled with fear and we face trouble in our lives, we're confronted with a basic dilemma. Either we trust that God will care for us, or else we seek to find another way to deal with our anxiety and distress. Very often the choice to reject God and his promises is a completely irrational choice. Think back on the majority report of the ten spies. On the one hand, they state that the land they explored was a good land flowing with milk and honey. And then they say that it's a land that devours its inhabitants. Yet in the next breath, they describe the inhabitants of the land as giants. How could Canaan be a land that devours its inhabitants and at the same time produces such large giants? The complaint of the people also doesn't make any sense. The people complain that it would have been better for them to die in Egypt or in the wilderness than to enter Canaan and fall by the sword. How is certain death in Egypt or the wilderness better than possible death when they invade the land? Does it make sense that the same God who poured out earth-shattering plagues on Egypt, part of the Red Sea before his people, and miraculously fed them with bread from heaven in the wilderness, would now let them perish at the hands of the Canaanites? Can you see, beloved, how anxiety and fear can overwhelm us so that we begin to believe lies? Can you see how troubles and hardships can cause us to lose sight of God's goodness and grace. In many ways, we're not all that different from God's people Israel. 
We believe that God is the almighty creator of the universe. And yet we can find it hard to believe that the results of a medical test are in his hands. We believe that God directs the course of kings and nations. And yet we struggle deeply with understanding how and why he allows our governments to make the decisions they do. We know that God is the one who transforms our own dead hearts to a living faith in him. And yet we doubt that God can bring our stubborn neighbors and friends to faith in him. We believe that Christ died to pay for our sins, that he rose to grant us new life in him. And yet we doubt that a particular sin in our life can be forgiven or that a sinful habit can be overcome. In our text, we see the response of Israel's leaders to the congregation's unbelief and rebellion against the Lord. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in front of the whole congregations. They prostrated themselves before God because they realized the seriousness of Israel's rejection of the Lord. Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who brought him on orderly report, tore their clothes. It's a sign of mourning over Israel's sin, of repenting from it. They called on the congregation to believe in the Lord. They said, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And so we see that Joshua and Caleb issued a strong call for God's people not to rebel against the Lord, not to harden their hearts against him. The writer of Hebrews makes reference to the events of our text in Hebrews 3. Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians living in the early church. They were facing hard times. They faced ridicule and even persecution because of their faith in Jesus. The Hebrews wanted to go back to Judaism, to how life was before they put their faith and trust in Jesus. The Christian life was just too hard. And so one of the major themes of the letter to the Hebrews is the call to endure and the warning against leaving Christ. We see that call to endure sounding forth in Hebrews 3. The writer of Hebrews quotes what the Holy Spirit says in Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. The writer applies that call to us, saying, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. There's times of love and when we can face struggles in our faith. Perhaps it relates to struggles with anxiety and fear. Perhaps we're faced with troubles and sorrow in our lives. At times we may have questions about whether what the Bible says is really true. Did God really create the world in seven days? How can I be sure that Jesus actually arose from the dead? How is it possible that the Almighty, the infinite God, should care about me? 
Why is everyone around me blessed? While I face sickness and hardship and troubles and sorrows? What should we do when faced with spiritual struggles? Often our natural response is to run away from God. We don't read our Bibles. We neglect public worship. We do what we can to avoid hearing God's word. But how much sense does that make, beloved? If you've got spiritual struggles, they can only be addressed in a spiritual way. It's at those times that we really need to dig into God's word. We need to hear God's voice as it comes to us through the preaching and the reading and the study of God's word. We need to come to God with humble hearts. We need to recognize that God is the creator and we are his creatures. That God is almighty while we're often weak. That God is all-knowing while we often lack understanding. Pray for the Spirit to work with the gospel in your heart. Recognize that sin is deceitful. That Satan is the father of all lies. Satan may whisper and sin may tempt. But if you heed their voice, you're choosing the pathway of destruction and death. Hear God's voice, beloved. The voice of the Good Shepherd whispering your name, calling you to repentance and life. Do not harden your hearts in unbelief. Instead, trust that your God and Savior is good and gracious and loving and faithful and kind. Heed and follow his call, for he's the one who provides life and joy, comfort and hope. In our first point, we've considered Israel's unbelief. In our second point, we'll consider Moses' intercession. Our text shows us how strong Israel's unbelief was. When Joshua and Caleb called them not to rebel against the Lord, the people responded by deciding to stone them to death. It's at this point that the Lord intervenes. The glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. The Lord asked Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Then the Lord renders his verdict. The people decided that they would appoint a new leader and go back to Egypt. But their decision didn't have much weight. God's verdict did. Israel's fate rested not so much on what they thought of the Lord, but on what he thought of them. The Lord suggested to Moses what he planned to do to his people. He said that he would strike the people with a pestilence and disinherit them and that he would make a greater and mightier nation out of Moses. It's not the first time that the Lord issued such a threat. He said the same thing to Moses in Exodus 32, after Israel sinned by making and worshipping the golden calf. If God really intended to annihilate his people, he could have done so without speaking to Moses. It is as if the Lord is inviting Moses to intercede on behalf of the congregation that they might be spared. Perhaps this was a test for Moses 
to see how he would react. It would have been tempting for Moses to agree with the Lord. Israel was a hard-headed people. Our text says they put the Lord to the test ten times. They caused Moses many headaches and heartaches as well. There would have been a great temptation for Moses to give in to the Lord's suggestion. Once and for all, he'd be done with this rebellious people. And God was promising to make him into a greater and a mightier nation. Yet Moses does not focus on himself or on his own benefit or glory. He focuses on God's glory and on the benefit of his people. Moses responds to the Lord by suggesting that if the Lord destroyed Israel, the surrounding nations would raise many questions. They would say that the Lord is not powerful enough to bring his people into the land he swore to give them. And that's why he decided to destroy them in the wilderness. God's fame among the nations would take a hit. Thus, for the sake of God's name and glory, Moses prays for God not to destroy his people. Moses also makes a second appeal for why God should not destroy his people. It's an appeal based on God's own character. In Exodus 34, the Lord had revealed himself to Moses in a special way. While Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock, the glory of the Lord had passed by him. As the Lord passed by, Moses heard God's voice revealing himself as a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving sin and rebellion, yet not leaving the guilty unpunished. Moses quotes from God's revelation of his own character, calling on God to be merciful, to pardon the iniquity of his people. Beloved, we can take direction from Moses' prayer for God's people. We don't fully understand how our prayers affect God's sovereign will. We know God has a plan for this world and for each of our lives. The fact that God's word speaks about how God has appointed a time for each one of us to be born and for each one of us to die makes it seem as if God's plans are set in concrete and cannot be changed. But the Bible clearly teaches that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We can't fully understand how our sovereign God can hear and respond to the prayers of his people while still carrying out his holy will exactly as he designed it from all eternity. Yet God clearly teaches He hears, he answers the prayers of his people. We have an even greater assurance of God's fatherly love and goodness than God's people did in the Old Covenant. For we have a mediator who is much greater than Moses. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. But Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. We may come before God's throne of grace with all our fears and anxieties. We may ask for deliverance in the midst of hardships and despair. God will hear us. He will answer our prayers for Christ's sake. 
Beloved, never give up praying for loved ones who are straying or who have strayed from God's ways. Continue to call on the Lord to work faith in their hearts that they too may share in the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Remember your non-Christian neighbors and workmates and friends before God's throne of grace. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel and for God to work it in their hearts by the power of his Spirit. Just as Moses prayed for God's rebellious people long ago, so we can come before the Lord, interceding for those around us, living in darkness. God loves such prayers. He is powerful and he's merciful. He may be pleased to use your prayer to soften hard hearts and to call rebellious people to repentance and life. It brings us to our final point, God's response. So far we've seen Israel's decision to elect another leader and return to Egypt. It was a selfish decision made in unbelief. We've seen Moses' intercession praying for God's people. Moses was motivated by God's glory and he prayed in faith. The Lord's response has two parts. Two parts of his character are revealed. God responds with both justice and mercy. The justice of God is, plain, is painfully evident in our text. He gives the Israelites exactly what they asked for. They desired to return to Egypt, so God told them that they would be heading back that way. They said it was better to die in the wilderness than at the hands of the Canaanites. And so God told them that they would die in the desert over a 40-year period. The generation that saw all God's mighty works in delivering them from Egypt and caring for them in the wilderness would not be allowed to enter the promised land. God also brought an immediate judgment on the ten spies who brought a bad report back to the congregation of Israel. They died by plague before the Lord. And the Lord also shows his mercy on his people. He did not annihilate his people as he threatened to do. The Lord heard Moses' prayer of intercession, and he responded favorably to it. The children, all those 20 years old and under, are told that they will inherit the promised land. They are not deemed to be part of their parents' decision to reject the Lord and return to Egypt. Israel had feared that their children would become slaves in Canaan. But now God promises that they will safely enter the land and possess it and live in it in freedom. Out of the original generation, only Caleb and Joshua, who lived by faith, would see the fulfillment of God's promises. In response, the Lord's decision to ban the older generation from the land, but only allow those 20 years and younger to enter it, the people mourned greatly. But even their crying was not true repentance. They were sad about the consequences of their actions, but not about their rebellion against the Lord. We see evidence of this in what they decided to do. After the Lord made his judgment against them known, they decided to go up into Canaan and fight against the inhabitants of the land. 
They took their weapons and went into battle. But Moses and the ark of God remained in the camp, a sign God was not with them. They were soundly defeated and chased out of the land. Beloved, through the sermon this morning, God is speaking to you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart in unbelief. You may be facing much fear and anxiety in your life. It may seem as if people are big and God is small. You may be going through trouble and sorrow and distress. In such circumstances, there's always a temptation for us as human beings. It's easy for us to go back to our default sinful positions to determine, I'll do it my way. There is no blessing in that. It will only hasten us along the pathway of sin and death. In anxious and troubled times, God calls us to a living faith in him. Israel had the testimony of the Lord's wondrous deliverance from Egypt and his gracious provision for them in the desert. We have something much richer. We know God sent his son to redeem us. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. He rose to grant us new life in him. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him for salvation. Rely on him for everything you need for body and soul. God will take care of us. Today, by hearing his voice and believing his word, He will help us along the way of everlasting life. Life may be tough, but the future is bright. For God is good, and he grants his good gifts to all those who trust in him. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by singing together from Psalm 106. Psalm 106, stanzas 11, 12, and 22.